When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. G'day, I'm Mitchell Johnson, and for 10 years I bowled fast for Australia. Knocks him over with pace. What a start for the Aussies. For 10 years I had batters shaking in their boots, but... I did so without always feeling comfortable in my own shoes. Pryor's going to have to go. Mitchell Johnson's on fire. For the outside world, I came across as a fire-breathing dragon with ball in hand. On the inside, I was battling my own demons without always getting to talk about it. Oh, how about it? But now I'm retired. My left arm can't do the talking for me, so I've decided to open up and talk for real. So let's do this. In comes Mitchell Johnson now. This is the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show. You're listening to the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show. My name is Bharat Sundaresan. I'm sounding a lot happier and a lot more energetic because I'm back. I'm back from the World Cup. Australia World Cup champions for a sixth time. Mitchell Johnson, firstly, good to see you. World Cup winners again, Australia. Yes, World Cup winners again. This is the thing. This is the uh, discussions I've been having uh, and being asked questions. Uh, how do Australia do it? Like They seem to do it on a lot of occasions, the big occasions. And look, India did play the, the better World Cup up until the final. So this is the thing. I, I actually wrote an article the day of the, the World Cup final and I did say that, look out, Australia will be hard to beat in this final. Even though India have played the better cricket, yes, they beat them at the start of the tournament, but this is where it counts. This is where the pressure is. India had more pressure on them, being a World Cup final, a World Cup at home. The pressure of winning that next one was immense. Australia had played with pressure throughout the whole tournament, I felt, or most of the tournament anyway, um, especially after those first two losses. So for me, there was always that feeling that Australia could win the final, knowing that this is only one game. The final is one game. You can't, it's not a best of three, it's not a best of five. Doesn't matter what happened beforehand. Australia just went out there and to my surprise, they bowled first. That in itself was showing confidence. They'd done their homework and they were confident that the Jew was going to come in later. But they just bowled well. The great, there was great changes throughout uh, with the bowling changes and then batted the way that they normally did. I think there was definitely a little bit of panic early on and, and India looked like they were going to get on top. But yeah, ultimately, Australia were able to sustain that pressure for long enough and the score was that the total wasn't enough in the end. So yeah, Australia victorious for the sixth time. And uh, unlike in 2007 and 2015, uh, the celebrations did go on for a while in Ahmedabad, but there was no uh, no yacht ride or no, no cruise just to get on like you guys did in 2007, as you can um, uh, listen to in uh, our archives where Mitch spoke about the 2007 win when he was a fringe player, but uh, he got to uh, indulge in the celebration. And uh, he was a senior player in 2015 where once again, he got to indulge in the celebration. Uh, But uh, the celebration did go on. I don't know how they managed to... uh, get themselves the amount of alcohol that they did in Ahmedabad, uh, at least based on what we saw on social media. But um, no real celebration uh, uh, after they come back. Actually, I'm going to stop you. How funny is it, though, Like that they've got alcohol in into their dressing rooms somehow and there's all these blow-ups about Mitchell Marsh putting his foot <laughs> on the trophy 
Interesting, is it not? <laughs> Interesting indeed. Oh, the number of messages I got, Mitch, about from some senior Indian broadcasters and journalists about how disrespectful, how how dare they put their feet on the trophy. Is it? Hey, two things. Firstly, in Australian culture or most cultures outside of the subcontinent, it really is not a big deal to put your feet on something. I mean, you, you know, the, it, it's different. In, it's in, in, more, the, for us, it's more than the trophy, right? It's not about the trophy itself. It's about winning the World Cup. The trophy is a cool... Look, I'm not disrespecting the trophy, but it's that's not what it's about for us. That Just that trophy, you know. And if you want to get picky about it, you can show photos of Mitch Marsh having the trophy and holding it up or kissing it. So... Yeah, it's just a silly, silly little thing. And I don't know what all the fuss is all about, to be honest. Um, you know, Matthew Hayden was a guy that hated trophies, didn't like the look of the trophies. It wasn't about the trophies to him. Um, and that's not him disrespecting a trophy because it's just a piece of plastic or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit silly. It's very silly, actually. It's just a, a lot of Indian people still upset over the fact that their team, the most uh, dominating white ball team India has ever produced, not winning a World Cup and, and losing quite badly as well in front of uh, so many Indians. Um, and, you know, I think it, it just kind of boils down to a social media, uh, how quickly yeah, any trope can become a, a a figure of hate. And that's the thing. I think it just boils down to that more than anything. Yeah, I mean, they, again, like you say, India, you know, they're one day uh, on the top of the table uh, throughout the year. They've uh, test players and they're T20. Are they all three formats? Are they the number one teams? They were, yeah, exactly. Going into going the World, into the World Cup. Cup. Yeah. So, um, but look, Australia can turn around and say we're World Cup champions for the next four years. Yep, and World Test Championship. End of story. End of story, yeah. I mean, they've beaten <laughs> India in two finals in the same year, so they can do whatever they want to with that trophy, including put their feet on top of it. Uh, speaking of having your feet on top of things, <laughs> this is the lead-in to the summer of Mitchell Johnson. It's It's been a, a decade now, the 10-year anniversary of what you did against England, and it's a fascinating, fascinating turnaround. I think it's one of the greatest individual performances by anyone in a Test Series in the history of the game people like Stuart Broad who played what 160 tests said uh, it was the fastest bowling performance by anyone or especially for someone to sustain it over five test matches it's just quite remarkable I don't want to put you on the spot and in your book uh, Resilient uh, in your first book I'm going to say because I have a feeling there's a second book coming at some point uh, and I might have something to do with it there you go <laughs> uh, uh, you called it rising out of the ashes that's the chapter and everything that had happened in your life and your career till that point um, kind of played a role in what happened over those five or six weeks when you blew away uh, the English batters, you blew away all these myths and urban legends about you and you blew away all the self-doubt uh, and I think in the next few weeks we're going to focus on that, we're going to talk about uh, some of those spells, we're going to break them down uh, and we've been discussing this off air. We're going to get get people from both sides of the coin. I mean, a few of the English batters who unfortunately had to face you, and some of the Australian cricketers who were fortunate enough to be play alongside you. Maybe someone like a Brad Haddon who was uh, keeping wickets. And I, I I know he always speaks about the only time he ever saw batters being scared for their life was when you were running in during those ashes. But but I think today I wanted to start with the whole lead up to it. There was there was some you were thirty one. Maybe there was a fear somewhere at the back of your head that you thought your time had come and gone in Test cricket. And a part of your life which I think till the end of your time you'll be asked about and clips of you with the moustache running around celebrating wickets will be played out uh, you know, while you're around, when you're not around. Uh, but it, it's just become an uh, indelible image of uh, cricket, cricketing history. Yeah, it was a really, uh, really interesting time for me because I just came back from an injury, had a toe injury and did a lot of work uh, leading in. Um, I think we've discussed a bit of that stuff, but um, you know, I had to work out uh, how to get stronger, how to get mentally stronger, physically, um, the emotional side of things. Uh, I've worked on all those kind of things leading in. And I guess, yeah, being told 
Well, just knowing in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind that you know you're 30, 31 years of age, and that's when your career is meant to be really slowing down. Some players don't make it past that. Bowlers, in particular, although it has, we're seeing a, a bit more of uh, length in age. Uh, you know, Jimmy Anderson, for instance, he's he's a bit of a. I guess he's quite elite um, in what he's done. Um, very different to the mould. And at that age, I was, you know, thinking to myself that you know people are telling me that you're too old and your, your career's done, and and that sort of motivated me a bit. Um, you know, you're down the pecking order as well. You know, there's ten bowlers in front of you, um, so that really did help motivating me as well. I definitely had the motivation to play for my country again and do it my way. Um, and be consistent but yeah when I was told all that that definitely was a, a bit of fire in the belly stuff and definitely helped um, in a lot of ways throughout that end of my career that Mitch Johnson or Mitchell Johnson 2.0. We have to mention it right before then was the uh, infamous test tour of India uh, infamous only not just because you guys lost pretty badly but the homework gate thing happens it, it just felt like a very unhappy Australian dressing room to be a part of Mickey Arthur was uh, the coach and uh, you played just one test in that series uh, where were you like mentally in, in the sense like while you were playing in the IPL were you even thinking ashes or did you think uh, maybe I'll just try and stay in the present because that's not that's unlike you I mean it's difficult for you or at least back then it was difficult for you to stay in the well, yeah, and there were some pretty nasty net sessions um, in, in India as well. So uh, I was pretty annoyed at the whole situation. But yeah, look, I had to stay in the present. I had to look forward, and I wanted to play Test cricket again. So that was my 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 ultimate. Uh, so I had that in the front of my mind. Um, but also, yeah, I had to stay within the present. Just do what I needed to do. Uh, be aggressive. Bowl fast swinging the ball, like you said, um, getting wickets. Um, so, yeah, my, my goal was to play Ashes cricket again. So the IPL finishes and uh, what kind of conversations are going on between you and the selectors or like you and the team management at that point? And that's also around the time Mickey Arthur is gone and Darren Lehman takes over. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Darren Lehman over the next few weeks and, and the impact he had uh, on you during during that Ashes. But uh, just what were your chats like with the selectors and the powers that be? Uh, yeah, I just remember I had a lot to do with John Inverarity at the time and, and coming back from my injury. And it's quite funny. He wanted me to bowl 138 and swing the ball and, and do this and do that like, like DK Lilly used to do. Um, or did after his back injury. So um, I respectfully uh, was nodding away and saying, yes, yes, John, yes, John. And he'd come down to some of my sessions and he'd watch me and I'd, in my warm-ups I was swinging the ball and just doing enough and he was happy with it and then he'd go off and then I'd just come off the long run and start charging in so um, and letting him rip. But uh, look, the conversations along the way were they were happy with my progress they were, you know, just keep doing what I'm doing, keep getting wickets, keep being aggressive. Um, I wasn't selected in the Ashes series in England, but uh, that that sort of disappointed me. But also, probably was the right decision when when I think about it. I I, I think I wasn't quite ready. I hadn't, um, yeah, just didn't have that confidence quite right. Um, but. Yeah, the, conver uh, the the conversations I was having when Darren Lehman came in as well um, were all positive. Um, he just, they were just saying, just keep doing what you're doing, keep bowling fast, keep being aggressive, um, just keep it simple, um, and, and there'll be you know there'll be a selection where you know your name will will come into to the equation. Where there was a few few times it did. I think it was in the equation in that Ashes series in England. Because the Ashes series happened and then it was the one-day series right after that, wasn't it? So, yeah, they, they, they selected me on that one-day series, which, like I said, I, I feel like it was probably the best best for me at that time and I'm glad it went that way because I hadn't really tested the mental side um, playing in front of an, uh, an England crowd, which was always probably the toughest for me because of the the noise that was there, that the amount of um, singing that was going on, you know, bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. I wanted to test that mental side 
to see if I could block that stuff out. So that one-day series was a perfect lead-in for me to see where I was at mentally. Um, and I came out of that um, very happy. I might not have got all the wickets that I would have liked, but the way that I bowled was a good sign. Now, you speak about the uh, testing out the mental side of it. So you had been working on it, right, in the in the lead-up to that year. Uh, uh, so I think after 2009, after that uh, uh, the tough times you had in England playing in front of that crowd. Uh, you did go away, I think, after 2011, you coming back from injury. You started working on the mental side of things. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out how I was going to block uh, all the negative out. And the one thing that worked was having a song in my head. And I remember Glenn McGrath talking about this when I first came in in 07 around that World Cup time. He talked about him having a song in his head. And I actually did used to have songs in my head when I was playing when I was a bit younger, uh, playing for Queensland. And I did do that. And then all, when all of a sudden just went away from that. And that can be the case because you've got to keep on top of you've got to keep on top of these things when you're playing. You can't just let it happen. You've got to work on those things and continue to work on it. And so I went away from that that 09 to 11 period where I was really struggling. I was very up and down uh, with my performances. Um, and when I came back, I just made a real clear um, – I was really clear with what I wanted to do uh, mentally and physically and, and what I wanted to do with my bowling. And so when I went to that England one day tour, I knew in my head that I was really keen on testing it out and to do that in front of – I think it was Edgebaston where we um, where I really – tested it out you go down to the boundary well i remember going down to the boundary and you're copping a fair bit of bit of stick on, on the boundary but um i was able to just block it out i'd have a song on my head it was the frozen song um which was quite funny but i mean there was other songs that would pop into my head but why it worked was because if i'm singing this song on my head all the ba- other stuff can't get in because you can only think of one thing at a time and I'd just keep the song on my head. I'd keep smiling, keep enjoying myself. I was having a great time. And that was actually going back on Darren Lehman when he became coach. That was one thing I remember him saying to all of us. He goes, you're playing for your country. You should be enjoying yourself. Have fun. Um, Yeah, we'll go and have our fun off the field as well. You know, go have a beer here and there. Um, But we'll work hard on the training paddock and we're out in the middle. We're going to give it our all. But it should be fun. We're playing for our country. So... Um, yeah, I just remember that that one day tour was a real significant one for me and really important one. And I felt like I did all I needed to do. Um, like I said, maybe could have got a few more wickets, but um, I bowled fast. I actually remember that first game. I'm pretty sure it was the first game was at Edgebaston, but I remember bowling to Jonathan Trott and bowled him a bouncer and it sort of struck him on the glove, I think, or um, he sort of squared up and that sort of set the seed, I think, with him a little bit with facing the short ball. And But to do that on a slowish pitch at Edgebaston, it wasn't quick and to rush him and, and do it to a few of their players was, was a bit of a... A good sign. I mean, it was more than a good sign. It was an appetizer was of what was to come. But on that note, we will take a little bit of a break. And when we are back, Mitchell Johnson, we'll talk about uh, that one-day series a little more in detail. And also how the communication between you and the selectors or the selectors and you changed as you neared the, the ashes a- a- and getting the call-up itself. You're listening to the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show. And um, just before the bad break, you spoke about hitting Jonathan Trott on the grill. Uh, uh, that's what you mentioned in, in your book. Uh, and you realized at that point that, you know, if he, he wasn't comfortable against the short ball. Uh, but it wasn't just him. I mean, he was just, you know, it's a, like Stuart Broder said, that sustained fast bowling and uh, intimidating bowling uh, from, from you, it, it kind of... 
uh, ended a few careers it uh, shaped uh, the the remainder of a few careers and um, it also i mean it had a telling impact on batters around the world but i'm sure we'll come to that in the next few weeks but you spoke about that one day series match and uh, bowling fast at what point did that conversation happen that's i'm guessing before the one day series that happened as i was coming back from injury once i started bowling again so that was after I was in a couple. What was it? Two months in a in a moon boot, I think, or a month, month or two uh, in a moon boot, and I was sort of. I actually started to get back into training, and I was still in the moon boot. Um, I started to do a bit of did a bit of bit of swimming and stuff like that. I just had to not kick and things like that. So, yeah, I was a little bit of a naughty boy, but. Um, I started. I just did things that I knew that I was comfortable with. Um, that wasn't going to hurt my toe. Um, but I had that conversation with John uh, fairly early on. It was before I started bowling again, but um, it was a good conversation. I mean, like I said, I've always had respect for our past players and um, always give them the time uh, because they've been there as well. And you know, you might pick up something that's that's well, you do pick up a lot of helpful things, a lot of helpful tips, a lot of things that um, that you can use as well. Some things you don't, and it was just yeah. I'd already made my mind up. I had a plan in my head what I wanted to do. And I think I was just being respectful for John and just agreeing that, you know, maybe that's a, a good way to go about it. But um, it's it's quite funny when, we, when we've spoken about it. He goes, you've made the right decision. Um, basically, you did, did, did it your way and, and that's the best way. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it was nice to have his support though throughout that. Uh, it did did help, but it could have easily gone the other way. It is the national selector at the time, and I'm basically not sort of not following order, but I'm not following um, or not understanding maybe what he's saying. It, it could have easily gone um, the other way and gone. Well, he's not swinging the ball. He's not bowling accurately, and he's just you know decided to to go the other way about it bowl fast and be aggressive and and that's not what we need we needed you know they could have just needed that bowler to bowl 138 and just swing the ball and and nibble it around a bit um but fortunately for me i was able to um persuade in in a way that you know that's what they were after Uh, look and um you know, there's this lovely piece on uh, cricket.com.au written by Adam Burnett, who, uh, if you haven't read Adam Burnett, you really need to. I mean, he does some incredible long-form pieces, and this is certainly one of those. Uh, and I'm sure this is just one of many pieces that will be written about you this summer, Mitch. Uh, uh, every time, and not just in print. Every time someone bowls a bouncer during the home summer, I'm sure there'll be clips of you shown uh, over and over again uh, as we go from Perth to Melbourne to Sydney to Adelaide to Brisbane. Uh, grounds where you had an impact on uh, wherever you went during that Ashes. But the, in in that piece, he writes about other chats that you did have with John in Virality. And one of them was just before before the, the Ashes. And there was that India One Day series as well. And I think there was an A tour headed to South Africa. And there was some talk that you might be on it. And uh, to quote from his piece... Uh, this John Inuitarity recalling saying Cricket Australia was keen to send him to South Africa. And I said to him, the options are you can go or you can be at home with your wife and your little child, get yourself fit and spend some time, spend more time with Dennis Lilly. Uh, which do you want to do? And you said you wanted to go home. Uh, so apparently Inuitarity pushed hard for that to happen and uh, you got your way and you went back and worked with Dennis Lilly. Uh, so do you remember this this bit, like where the whole South Africa bit and you saying, no, I would prefer going back home and training with Dennis? I don't recall it specifically. Um, sort of vaguely remember that. But if, you know, thinking thinking about it, it's it's probably one of those things that I was never one to make those kind of decisions. Um but I think, yeah, starting a new family and, and and being away, I was probably missing missing them a bit. Um, and the opportunity to, to work with Dennis again was was probably going to be more beneficial. That's probably another reason uh, why uh, I, I probably felt comfortable going back home. I think if I was to go back home and not do any work on on it, um, but it also probably showed that my mindset was different. Uh, I had probably more confidence. I was, you know, backing myself that okay, I don't need to 
maybe play these games. Um, you know, what's going to work for me at this time, point of time was to be be with my family. Um, that was going to help me more than, yeah, playing at the time. So, look, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I'm probably grateful that John has, has uh, pushed for that as well in that period of time um, and had confidence in me as well. So he'd had seen a lot of lot of my training and, and worked a lot with me and uh, I think the story, I haven't read the, the full story or anything, but um, I think, you know, there was a lot of issues with uh, facilities at the time. So uh, we didn't quite have the facilities up and, and running. It was, I think, the winter of um, in, in, in Perth or just didn't have the, the turf facilities. So he was able to get some up for me as well. Um, through that period of time at, at Hale School, so where he was a uh, a school principal at one point of time, so yeah, it was everything sort of was aligned, I guess, and everything worked out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess my mindset again, like I, I go back to mindset and, and just being confident, having belief, and and what I was doing was was different to the part. I think if I was a younger version of myself, I may have stayed on. On that tour, um, who knows? So, what were your interactions uh, like with uh, Dennis at, at Hale College? Thing uh, from from the piece, apparently they so in reality got in touch with them as a former headmaster, and they arranged for a centre wicket with a net around it. So, uh, what were you guys working on in particular during that time? Yeah, um, one one thing I remember was working on a new run up. So I worked on a new run before I got injured. I changed my run up, went to a short run up during the game in South Africa, I think it was the second innings and it was just terrible. What I was, I was just mentally fried, physically fried um, and I was just trying everything possible. I went off a short run because I was able to do that in the nets. I always did it. Uh, I was used to it. I thought that was going to help me in a game situation but uh, yeah, I was all over the place but I remember those training sessions with Dennis and, and John and the first thing I worked on was a run-up so... They got me, well, John, um, not John, um, Dennis got me to do the run with your eyes closed like a few times to get like a rhythm of a run and see where you're going to land. With, and he sort of marked a few spots and then we sort of got it. They were all pretty close together. Uh, we just changed my run up. So that was one thing because the run up's probably one of the most important things. It starts everything. You've got to have the right momentum going into the crease. got to be balanced. Um, you don't want to be running too fast or too slow. Um, so we worked on my run-up, which was the first thing. And these are all things that are quite hard to do when you're, you know, you're mid, well, back end of your career, I, I guess. You're sort of at the back end, but they're hard things to change, but I was willing to change them because I wanted to better myself. So that was the great thing about working with Dennis. He he knew, my, knew me quite well, knew my body, knew what I was capable of, and he knew that I trusted him as well and um you know that really does help so then we worked on a few things with with bowling my action was you know we just tidied a few things up uh, went back to basics and it's you know making sure that i was pulling my front arm down um it was following through right past my right knee so things you do that you know you wouldn't even think about when you're playing but things that i needed to do in training to get myself right um get that action right so then i was able to go out there and not think about it just just be confident in it so and then have the tough mentality it was all about being tough in the mind and um yeah it, it was really it honestly was really simple stuff that we were working on it wasn't anything that was rocket science or um it was really just getting back to basics um and then he was just putting that trust in me. He was saying to me that when I get my opportunity, it was just go out there and trust your instincts. So you've done the work. It's just trusting your instincts and backing it. So um, again, really simple stuff, but something I probably never did that well in the start of my career. I didn't back myself and didn't trust my instincts. Always felt that I was different because I was a left armor. I felt that my angles were, angles were different. My fields needed to be set differently. And it was just having confidence just to, to back all that and speak up when, you know, there were situations of the game that, that needed that, um, you know, fielder like a third slip or or the gully needed to be um, a bit square or finer or 
uh, just simple things like that. So, yeah, it was a great time to work with him and, and you know, I owe a lot to him as well. Um, although he'll probably say that I don't owe him anything, um, maybe a few beers, but um, look, it, it was great working with one of the best, uh, one of our greatest that we've had and we've had a long, long career together, which has been, you know, since I was 17 and a half when we first, when he first saw me and um, you know, we had a really good bond and we have, re- have a really good bond and it's just, um, it's nice that, you know, I can sit back now and reflect on those things. Um, makes me feel um, not a, not fully emotional or anything like that, but just you know, just that nice sense of good that good feeling that I've been able to do something with with one of the greats of all time. Yeah, and where did he sit with the whole? I mean, I'm sure John would have had a word with him as well about this whole bowling at 138 and swinging the ball, like giving his example. Like, did he did he just say, you know, don't listen to that uh, to John, just bowl fast? <laughs> um, it's interesting. I sort of try and think back to what he was saying, and I think I think he was on board with what I was doing. It's funny. I remember my first time going to the MRF bowling academy in india in chennai so i would have been 18 19 possibly and i remember a net session that we had there and the pitches were pretty docile and not much to them they were just dirt basically and i remember being at top of my mark and he goes to me what are you gonna bowl i said oh just a good length just outside off stump just try and like nick him off he goes bowl a bouncer I was like, okay. So I bowled a bouncer, like ripped in, come back to the mark and he goes, what are you going to bowl now? And I was like, oh, I think I can nick him off now. He goes, bowl him another bouncer. So I bowled another bouncer and I think back to that and I go, it was a really simple thing but I think like looking back now, I just go, he just wanted me to be aggressive and use that aggression. He saw something in me and he thought, well, let's just use it. I didn't see it at that point of time. Um, but I guess when we had that work together, when I came back from my toe injury and we were able to you know, spend that time together, I think he just knew that me being aggressive was the best thing for me, that worked the best for me. It wasn't about trying to put the ball there. Every time I try and put the ball there, and it's a bit like what John was saying, if you bowl 138, to me, that's putting the ball in the spot and that was never a good thing for me because I'd bowl too full or I wouldn't have anything behind the ball, no, no real venom behind it um, and I wouldn't bowl my action properly. I'd be trying to just place and just everything would be a bit slower. So, yeah, Dennis was all over that. Um, he loved me being being aggressive. Speaking of being aggressive, you... The decision was taken. I think you were part of that decision where you're in in India playing that one-day series and uh, you missed out on watching Rohit Sharma make the double hundred on that flatty in Bangalore. So I'm sure you weren't complaining. But uh, so you not complaining, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, especially in Bangalore uh, with those boundaries. So you come back home uh, because I think the selectors wanted you to play one red ball game. I think the last first-class game you played was that Test match in India. Uh, I actually, just, I, I actually had a niggle. Ah. I don't think this was ever, ever spoken about. But I had, I think it was a, I don't know if it was a hemi or or something. So I actually had a little bit of a niggle going on. So that's that's the, oh, yeah, that's the that backstory. That's the backstory. <laughs> but um, it was also probably probably the right decision. Even, yeah, looking back, like I, I probably had bold enough. Um, and look. It, the option came up and, and I think it was the right decision in the end. Hmm. Um, yeah, just to make sure that I was right for, for the summer and to get a game in as well. Yeah. So I think I mean, it was – did we play – it was WA versus Victoria? Uh, no, against South Australia at, at South the Australia. Wacker. Yeah. Ah, uh, yep. Travis Head was playing that game. All right, a young Travis Head. Yeah, uh, yeah he would have been. Yeah. yeah, he was playing that game. I remember um, – I'm pretty sure it was Trav. Uh, Nathan Coulton Isle, I remember uh, – Pretty sure it was that game. Nathan Coulton and I came around the wicket. I think it was in the second innings. There was a massive crack outside the off stump line, and kept hitting this crack, and it was like seeming back in or off the. It was just deviating back, back in. And Coult's bowl was was bowl on good pace, and he was aggressive, and he was hitting hitting Trav and making him feel really uncomfortable. 
And but he stuck his ground. I think the only way we got him out, we ran him out in that game. I'm pretty sure. But he he was. You could tell he was is quite talented back then as well, uh, and quite tough as well to to deal with that. But yeah, sorry, I just I've just gone off track slightly. But no, I mean, look, player of the match, Travis Head. We did speak about the World Cup at the top of the show, uh, but but yeah, I mean, so was that game important because you just wanted a red ball in your hand again just before the Ashes? And and was it was the communication quite clear by then for you at least that yes you are playing the Ashes because when you did get the call up, a lot of people were still a little surprised. uh around the cricket circles but just just about that game and why you thought it was important i guess it was just another oppor- it was an opportunity for me to play red ball cricket i felt like i needed it more than playing one day cricket at that time um so it was an opportunity to to bowl in another game and, and just get miles in the legs uh get overs under the belt and, and just get that feel of of the longer form again so it was it was just to make sure i was feeling good um and obviously i wanted to get wicket i don't know how many wickets i got in the game but um I, yeah i'd be lying if i told you i got 5 or 6 but um who knows uh but it was more <laughs> no you got 5 5 and apparently there were five drop chances according to adam's story so all uh, right there you go the drop catches i love the drop catches um <laughs> so yeah um it was just getting that feel again getting the rhythm of 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 bowling for longer periods and it was quite interesting because I probably bowled yeah longer spells than I than I did through the world uh through that Ashes series so which was a plan that we'd spoken about which we'll probably get onto yeah that's right like you bowled 37.4 overs in the game I don't think you bowled anywhere close to that those number of overs once the Ashes began because you didn't need to you're blowing England away in um, you know short bursts and uh, and that brings me to that to that build up uh, or be, even before the build up uh, in Brisbane uh just when you find out you 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 are playing in the ashes like you know the whole emotion of it of it all like you'd been left out of the ashes in 2013 uh there was all this talk that like you know people have moved on from Mitchell uh you know Jimmy Pattinson and all those guys who were coming through the ranks as well so uh Mitchell Stark wasn't too far away so just just what was going through your head when you finally find out like you know that call comes or you find out whichever way you found out that you are part of that squad yeah i was very happy um uh, very excited a little bit nervous as well but i felt like my mind was in a good place and my mindset leading in was in a in a great um great place i was felt strong um i felt like i was as ready as i could have been and and so yeah leading in was was great we um uh, spoke about a few things um that I was going to bowl short spells so we had a conversation I don't know if this is what you were going to uh, sort of talk about or not but we sat down with Michael Clark after a a session in the nets at Albion Oval up in the top oval we sat down as a bowling group on the grass bank so here on the grass yeah. bank yeah sat down together and we all sort of spoke about Well Michael spoke about his ideas uh and what the roles that we were going to play which was really good actually to know that what your exact role was yes they're going to change sometimes throughout a game but to start off a series I think that was really important and it was a huge series um so to know our roles and uh, so you know my role was to bowl aggressive bowl in short spells three overs maybe four maybe five at times but generally he wanted me to bowl three overs of just being aggressive fast bounces um get in the face of of the the pommy batters um Ryan Harris was to get the ball up there swing the ball um as an opening pair uh you know just being accurate like he was he bowled a good heavy ball as well uh Peter Siddle to nibble the ball around and you know first change some to, uh yeah well ball at first change and nibble it around ball stump to stump uh and Nathan Lyon was to to bowl his off spin use the conditions when it was like the gabber and and the wacker with that bounce extra bounce because he was all about bounce um not as much turn but um be aggressive with with that so attack at times but sometimes be defensive so it was a really clear plans and we actually never had to deter from those plans we stuck with them through which was phenomenal like I'd never been in a series like that in my life where all us bowlers didn't really need to go to plan B 
It was honestly just back yourselves and and stick with those roles. And we stuck with them for long enough period. There was a couple of periods throughout where you just we thought about it, but we just thought, no, let's just stick to that that plan. Back ourselves, and, and we'll be you know we'll come out on top. So we had that much confidence. And the other thing was in that conversation, I think it might have been actually a team conversation, but um, it was about how we were going to deal with England uh, when we came across them, whether it was um, through the, the tunnels of the Gabba or around the, the lunch areas, uh, the, the dining area um, of the grounds. We just were not going to give England anything. We didn't, weren't going to say hello to them. We were going to be um, pricks to them basically um, by not saying hello we just ignored them the whole time and I know a few of them did write about that and said that, yeah, we were basically we were pricks. They thought we were pricks and we just didn't, we just weren't friendly. We weren't being mates um, and it had an impact. It had a psychological impact on them. Were you comfortable being a prick? Like, you know, that's, that's not you generally, uh, off the field, yeah. It's funny, yeah, because I think off the field it's it's quite hard to do. You're not, you know, we're all like, as sportsmen, you you sort of interact with other other guys, and um, there were some of the guys in the team where you, know, you liked them as they were good people, um, and it was normally yeah once you crossed the 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 boundary rope that was when you you know that's when it was turned on. But yeah, off the field it was. I mean, I could see the plan and see why um, you know Michael and 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 he wanted to do that, and we're all on board with it. I think. That was the main thing was that everyone had to be on board with it and we were all fine with it. Um, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it was just a psychological playbook um, or play that we, we played at the time. So it worked. Yeah, I can't wait uh, for you to narrate that uh, incident where Kevin Peterson is in the nets and the ball keeps coming in your direction while you guys are having a hit. Uh, because he intentionally keeps hitting the ball, and you're—that's a fascinating story as well. That kind of leads into yeah. That was at that was at Cardiff. That was on the field. Uh, yeah, in warm ups. Yep, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure we'll yeah, we, we'll get to yeah, that. we'll get to yeah. that. I'm sure we can do two episodes just on Kevin Peterson in that series. But maybe we'll get him on board. That'll be great. Uh, why not? Uh, but yeah, you're right. So this is chat. You called it. You said in your book that I don't think I've ever been involved in a better build-up. So, so you have this chat with Michael Clark. So your roles are clear. Firstly, first and foremost, you realize that uh, I mean, like you put in your book, slowing down and finding a middle ground and being well-intentioned didn't interest me, and neither did it interest the the team management or the captain. They did not want you to do any of that. They wanted you to bowl fast and uh, rough up the the English tail, but or. You know, I think that was the message, but you—I don't think you realized you'd end up roughing up the top order the way you did as either. Yeah, that's actually one thing I left out was uh, my my role was not to pitch a ball up to the tail end. So my intentions weren't to get wickets at the tail end; it was to be intimidating. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I did leave out. But um, yeah, the that was you know Michael was adamant about my role he uh he really wanted me to go hard and and, and i guess i didn't realize what the impact was going to be on the top order um i always said that in my career that i wanted to go for the top four batsmen i wanted to i was never had anyone like a bunny like i never thought of it that way but i wanted to go after the four best which is generally the top four four players um so yeah that was that was always my goal but i never realized what sort of impact it was going to have and I think when I first started that series, the nerves definitely kicked in, and in that first first spell of mine, it didn't probably go to to plan. Uh, the pitch was still a bit tacky at the Gabba, which it can be early on um, because they leave a little bit of extra water in it because of the heat and the humidity. Um, so yeah, I was I was probably I remember actually um, Cook played a pull shot early on in front of square leg. And I was like, oh, that's – I was a little bit worried. But um, I thought, no, this pitch will quicken up. And um, and once I got over my nerves, I was definitely – I think I say in the book that the first like over or so, I couldn't breathe. I literally couldn't breathe. It, I mean, it is hot there and it's humidity. But, yeah, I was so – I did get pretty nervous um, because I hadn't played it in a while and 
you know, it was obviously a big occasion playing at a home crowd. Um, you know, Gabba, you know, that's where I've played my first test match and I played a lot of cricket. So, um, yeah, it was nerve-wracking to start with. But once I came back from my second spell, it you know, things started to click. Oh, click they did. I mean, what they clicked <laughs> to the extent, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, we will talk about that performance for till till the end of time, till uh, we, we, we are both around until cricket gets spoken about. Uh, and, and, you know, that just sets uh, up what we are going to discuss over the next few weeks perfectly. Thank you for, for that, Mitch. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... <laughs> People always talk about your spells in Brisbane and in Adelaide in particular and everything else that was to follow and in Perth. But yeah, it was an interesting year. I mean, it was a pretty uh, big year for you in that sense, right? To go from being left out of the test side, homework gate, to have that IPL, not playing in the Ashes in England, coming back in that one-day series, being given this specific role and a high-pressure role as well. Yeah, at that stage of your career to just go. I mean, it's the kind of role you expect being given to a young tear away right like okay go fast don't you had like like, look i'll put it this way it's a role that you give to someone who has nothing to lose but you had a lot to lose in that i guess when you what you're saying is 100 percent right and when i look back at it and how you're talking about it now and what you're saying yes there's there was a lot more pressure on me at that stage of my career because and i think i may have talked about it in, in the past and maybe in the book but um, it was my last. It was my last chance. Like I think, if I, it didn't come off, I wouldn't have played. And it just was fortunate enough. Well, not fortunate. Yeah, I mean, you do have a little bit of luck that goes your way, but I'd done the hard work, and I knew I was confident that I could do it my way, and I could end my career and not have any regrets, and um, and finish off playing consistent cricket, bowling fast, and just enjoying it so yeah it could have easily gone the other way but I didn't let the pressure get to me and um, that was a really good sign Um, like I said going back to that uh, really for me it was seeing how I was dealing with the England crowd it really showed that I was over what had happened previously and I'd moved on and I'd got into a better headspace yeah and for me one of the greatest predictions that I've ever heard in cricket came from the great Sachin Tendulkar. It was about you. So Sachin Tendulkar in November plays his final test match, the end of a 24-year-old career, and uh, we had to work our backsides off as a result. But I'll never forget this. And it, it was a very, it's a random moment. It's a bizarre moment. In it had nothing to do with you or anyone else. It was all about Sachin. It was the last press conference. He's just retired. There are 100 plus people in this big room at the Trident Hotel, which you are no stranger to. Uh, uh, I think this was at the top floor. So it was a big room. And obviously, questions about his career and all of that. And there was a guy from BBC, uh, maybe the India correspondent. And I remember his question. He's like, I'm so sorry, Sachin. <laughs> the Ashes are about to start in, in three days' time. I know this is about your career, but I have to ask you an Ashes question. Who do you think? Do you think you have anyone in mind who you think is going to start during this Ashes? And firstly, everyone laughed, including Sachin, because, you know, this press conference is about his 24 yeah. years as a cricketer. <laughs> but expect a BBC or an English slash Australian journalist to ask, make that about the Ashes. Yeah. And, you know, he had played alongside you in that Mumbai side, which which won. Um, and without, you know, once he was done laughing at the question, he said Mitchell Johnson. And even in that room, even though people were distracted for a second by, by this Ashes question, everybody went like, oh, really? I mean, is he just talking up his IPL teammate? Like, is this Sachin? Yeah. Like, now that he's retired, yeah. he's going to talk about his IPL. And that was, that was the thought that went around the room. Uh, I might have been one of them as well because like, you know, you 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 were kind of not on the radar for anyone. Yeah. So, yeah. but for him to say that, he must have seen something during the IPL that told him that, look, Mitchell Johnson is operating at that level and I'm sure you never heard of this, but I, I don't know. It, it, I always found it fascinating that he would say that. I have heard of it one, once before. Um, yeah, I do recall it and wasn't something, I, I guess at the time I was... You know, I wasn't listening to a lot of that stuff, to be honest. But I have I've heard a lot um, since my career had passed. But yeah, I mean, coming from Sachin, like, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty amazing um, compliment to have. And um, 
he obviously reads the game very well, um, not because he said that, but um, because of his Sachin and how much he's played the game and his long career and and he's 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 been there and done that and and seen plenty of players come along. But yeah, we had we had a great time. We we're at the IPL. Um, we're very very similar with a lot of things. Um, we love our cars and we we love playing sports and and very competitive. Um, and so it was great to be able to play against him, but also you know play with him and, and get to know him a little bit. But yeah, hearing that comment, it's it's quite a you know quite surprising. Um, but it's also you know yeah very. Um, I'm very thankful for the comments um, and to, to to show that he had that much trust in me and I guess understanding of of where I was at as well. So I think it was that IPL, like I said, like there was a few comments floating around um, about my performances. Um, but again, it's a different format of the game. It's not Test cricket, and so for him to, to him to make a, a pretty bold statement uh, and for it to I guess to come true. Um, you know, I'm very thankful and very, I don't know. I don't know how to answer it anymore. It's like I'm going around in circles here. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, 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 really I'm sure. Yeah, no, no, you were humbled by it. Like, I, I, I totally get it. But no, it was just one of those remarkable predictions that, you know, people make, especially people like Tendulkar make, and they, they, they come true. I don't know if even you would have answered. If, I wonder if Mitchell Johnson's answer would have been Mitchell Johnson at that point. Maybe it was. Like, you know, you were in a good headspace. But Yeah, I don't think I don't think so. But, yeah, I could have never have, have, have imagined um, myself having the Ashes series that I did. And then, the you know, the, the rest of my career as well. Um, that's, I guess, what I've hoped for. It's something that, you know, you dream for. But uh, you, you never actually think you're ever going to achieve those feats but yeah yeah i mean it'll always be your one of your many claims to fame but i guess the ultimate claim to fame and uh thank you so much for that mitch and thank you to all of you for listening to us i must apologize we've been a little on and off for the last few weeks we've spoken about a bit of this and a bit of that and i think i'm mostly to blame for it i was away in the world cup i did not expect this tour to be as taxing as uh, hectic as it was but you know i was just moving so much and you know it, it just it just got to me but i'm back i'm back and so are we and we're back to talking about mitchell johnson and his story and what better place to start but uh, it's a remarkable it's incredible performance 10 years ago it was uh, i think it's november 27th when we are recording this so you'd already won Australia that first test at the Gabba but it's crazy to think it's 10 years my, my career was 10 years almost 10 years just for Australia and now it's 10 years on from that 13, 14 just it blows me away yeah you look the same though trust me yeah, the hair looks oh, better yeah. the hair looks better though that's all <laughs> I'll say now thank you so much so yes like subscribe do all the right things by us uh, leave your reviews and we'll be back uh, bolder than ever before, much like Mitchell Johnson ten years ago. This is uh, uh, this is when we re we rise from the ashes and uh, make sure that you are entertained every week. Uh, but until next week, thank you so much. Sports Social Podcast Network.